Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Multiverse by the Numbers podcast. Oh, I'm sorry, the Batman by the Numbers podcast. Slip of the tongue there. Uh, I am your host, Daniel Cohen. Uh, first, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to last month's episode where we ranked all the Batman actors. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, certainly check that one out if you haven't already. Uh, we got another big episode today. Uh, we are reviewing a little summer movie called The Flash. Uh, if you were capable of traveling back in time, you wouldn't be able to reach a point in history where a Flash movie wasn't in development. Um, we'll get to all that. Uh, but joining me on this crazy adventure... As always, a man who does podcasts across the entire multiverse. It is podcast editor of thepoprate.com, Alex Marcus. Alex, hello. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me back. All righty. Also joining us, he's the host of the Podwork Angels, a Rush podcast on the Pop Break Today feed. You can also find his writings on the cinemaverick.com. We have Justin Mancini. Uh, now, Justin, that Rush podcast is on the band Rush, not the 2013 Ron Howard movie Rush. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, far less Daniel Bruhl, unfortunately, but you know, still, still, we like to think still pretty good. All right, all right. Well, we're we're not here to talk about mediocre twenty thirteen Ron Howard movies. Uh, we are here to talk about <laughs> The Flash, directed by Andy Muschietti, starring Ezra Miller, Kirstie Clemens, Sasha Kaye, Ron Livingston, Maribel Verdu, Ben Affleck, Michael Shannon, and of course Michael Keaton back as Batman, Bruce Wayne. All right, so first and foremost, spoilers on. Let's just get that out of the way right now. You've been warned. Uh, the Flash. Like I said, it's been a long and winding road to get here. Multiple directors attached and rumored, many delays. Uh, and of course, one of the storylines hovering over this movie is the negative press surrounding the star, Ezra Miller, as they've admired in controversy, arrested on multiple occasions, all of which has been widely reported on during the rollout of this film. Yes. So a lot of people have kind of talked around all of the controversy around Ezra Miller, which I understand because it is lengthy, but we wanted to pay respect to uh, Miller's many victims by going through just a list at the top of all the things that have happened since 2019 when uh, major controversies began around him. So this is all coming from an article from Insider.com that has a nice kind of collection of the timeline of events starting in 2019, going until uh, the release of The Flash, unfortunately. Um, and it starts out with complaints on the sets of a film called Asking For It and a miniseries The Stand in 2019, where Miller was reportedly displaying erratic behavior, including incessant screeching, spitting, and interrupting scenes in ways that made others feel unsafe. Then in April 6th of 2020, he uh, they appeared in a cell phone video to have strangled a woman and thrown her to the ground at a bar in Iceland. Uh, also in April of 2020, Miller began living in an Icelandic hotel and invited an 18-year-old musician to live with them. She was later just she later described the six days that she lived with them to feature a lot of psychological abuse until Miller's preoccupation with her ability to breed caused her to leave. In March of uh, March 28th, 2022, uh, Miller was arrested for harassment in a karaoke bar in Hawaii following a physical altercation after verbally harassing patrons. In April 19th of 2022, there was a second arrest, uh, this time for a second degree assault in, uh, in Hawaii after throwing a chair at a 26 year old woman, which left a half inch cut in her forehead. On May of 2022, 
An order of protection was made against Miller on behalf of an 18-year-old activist named Dakota Iron Eyes. Uh, the parents of Iron Eyes claimed in court that Miller used violence, intimidation, threats of violence, sex, and drugs to hold sway over Iron Eyes. Their relationship began when Iron Eyes was 12 and Miller was 23 when they met on the set of Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. When Iron Eyes' mother attempted to reach into a car at one point uh, that her daughter had entered with Miller, Miller slammed the car door on Iron Eyes' mother's arm so severely that it required urgent medical care. Uh, musician Olivia Ignatius, uh, Oli Oliver Ignatius uh, said in court that he witnessed Miller abuse Iron Eyes for wearing makeup. Separately, in June of 2022, the mother of a 12-year-old boy in Massachusetts was granted an order of protection against Miller after an incident in February of that year when Miller began developing a menacing and inappropriate relationship with the boy, according to his mother, uh, who lived near Miller's Vermont home, which eventually escalated to a verbal altercation between Miller and the child's mother. In August 6th of 2022, uh, Vermont State Police approached Miller's residence with a state order for Miller to release the children of a woman staying with Miller. Miller was accused of emotionally and psychologically abusing the woman and creating an unsafe environment for her children. Miller told police that the woman and her children hadn't lived there for two months, but social workers on the case disputed this. Neighbors said that the children were in physical danger because of unsecured guns Miller kept on the property. In August 7th of 2022, Miller was charged with felony burglary in Stanford, Vermont, for stealing bottles of alcohol from a private residence. In mid-August of 2022, in a statement from Warner Brothers, Miller said, Having recently gone through a time of intense crisis, I now understand that I am suffering complex mental health issues and have begun ongoing treatment. I want to apologize to everyone that I have alarmed and upset with my past behavior and I am committed to doing the necessary work to get back to a healthy, safe, and productive stage in my life. In January of 2023, Miller accepted a plea deal in the Vermont burglary case to avoid jail time, despite previously entering a plea of not guilty. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how Warner Brothers handles it all going forward. I, you know, I know sequel discussions have been thrown around, with Miller possibly coming back, uh, so we'll see. But uh, we, we are here to talk about this movie. Um, Alex, Justin, we've all seen The Flash. So, you know, unless someone messes with the space-time continuum and I see a tomato can missing on the shelf when I go to Ralph's tomorrow, uh, there are no more delays for this movie. Uh, it happened. We saw it. Uh, I'm going to throw it to you guys first. Uh, I'm going to keep a stone-cold poker face on my reactions until it gets to me. Um, Alex, Marcus, your opening thoughts on The Flash. So my opening thoughts on The Flash is that it was okay. Uh, it had been previously promised to be one of the best cinematic experiences of my lifetime, according to everyone who works for Warner Brothers Discovery and Tom Cruise for some reason, and also Stephen King for some reason. Uh, this was a big push in their marketing because they couldn't have Ezra Miller giving a lot of interviews and press for the, for the film. Uh, they had a lot of other famous people out there talking about how this is one of the best superhero films ever made. I don't think that that really helped me in watching the film because I don't think it comes anywhere close to that. Uh, it wasn't a complete and utter catastrophe like it could have been given that this is a film that was in active development for nine years, uh, but it certainly did not live up to even mild expectations. It, there are some things to like about it, but there's a lot of things that just don't work in a way that was pretty disappointing. Some bright spots, though. Justin, The Flash. 
Oh, um, <laughs> you know, I don't think I would have seen this film if not for this podcast, like, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, it, you know, a lot of it was the Ezra Miller stuff that you just went through, Alex. Um, you know, the fact that it was so, so extensive and just seemed to have almost no end to it was really bothersome to me. And I actually wrestled with like, okay, is this like, how do I feel about seeing this? And I guess I kind of, you know, gave in. Uh, eventually and was like you know maybe they're at a place where you know there's something positive moving forward maybe that's what i like to believe i guess you know that will remain to be seen with regard to the film itself um i'm not a fan i have to be honest like i i found it i i def i think there are things to like in it i was i tried to keep my mind open even when i felt like the film was losing me um, I think it suffers from a real lack of dramatic stakes, um, not just in the fact that we're dealing with all these multiverses and alternate timelines, and you're always aware that, like, okay, there's probably, they're probably going to be able to fix it, but even just the arc of Barry's character seemed predictable to me from the very beginning. And quite honestly, I felt like it had been done better in other films. I, I think it's kind of a tried-and-true sort of thing of, you know, not of accepting your past and being able to move forward and, and still gain something positive from it. Um, and I just, you know, this has been a, this has been a, a thing I've seen from other people. And it was certainly very clear to me, having just seen it, that, um, a lot of it looks bad. Like it just like the, the, not just the effects, but even, you know, rubbery figures, both in the timeline itself and then other, you know, some characters who, or some actors, I should say, who are no longer with us, who are recreated, and then you have actors who are still alive, but who are in dead franchises, who are resurrected as well at one point. Um, it just looks pretty bad, uh, and it's really a shame for a huge blockbuster movie like this that's so high profile, and at a certain point, I guess you kind of have to say, okay, can I go along with this? Like, can I still enjoy, like, a fun ride? And for me, it just, again, it's also just contributing to that sort of sinning of dramatics uh, from moment to moment. Um, yeah, this uh, was not a, <laughs> there's, like I said, there's certain things I like about it. Maybe we'll get into that, you know, as we discuss some of the, some of the characters. Um, but for the most part, I was, I, I went in with pretty low expectations and I felt like they were even a little bit below that for me. Okay, uh, here are my opening remarks. Um, I'd like to open with a quote from Kylo Ren um, from the motion picture Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Uh <laughs> let, let the past die, kill it if you have to, that's the only way to become what you were meant to be. James Gunn, if you're listening, please save us, burn it all down, enough <laughs> is enough. Um, this, is, this is coming from someone who loves Man of Steel, likes BVS, and likes the Snyder Cut of Justice League. But this movie, to me, is the final nail in the coffin of the DCEU. And I want to be very clear. It's going to sound like I hate this film. I don't hate this film. It's okay. Will you be entertained? Yeah, you'll be entertained. It's fine. The last time I checked the Rotten Tomatoes score, it was 67%. I think that's an accurate depiction of the quality of this film. For once, Rotten Tomatoes is right. Great. Um, but I'm sorry. As a, as a DC fan in a movie that has the Flash... Multiple Batman, Supergirl, and General Zod, this simply just doesn't cut it. 
And I knew right away from the first sequence. That first action sequence, in a nutshell, is the reason why this DCEU never worked. It's That action sequence is a scene right out of the Joss Whedon Justice League. It's just lame, awkward, uncreative, cringeworthy, nothing feels earned, tonally off, JV score, 1996-looking visual effects, just putrid visual effects. And, and here's the thing. I'm not a big visual effects guy. Like... If the story and characters are there, I can forgive bad special effects. But when your main character has super speed and the effects aren't good, it's going to be a big problem. I mean, for crying out loud, they did this 500 times better in one sequence nine years ago with Days of Future Past. <laughs> and and here, here's the thing. This is why I'm really disappointed. Uh, because after that first atrocious action sequence, I actually think the next 45 minutes to an hour is actually pretty good. It's focused on character. Imagine that. It's focused on Barry Allen. And I know we just talked about all the baggage that they bring in, but in this movie, Ezra Miller is really good. And they are really good at the dual roles. That's the heart of this movie. I, I like the mentorship aspect of the film. I actually like how it becomes sort of a backdoor origin movie for The Flash. And let's be honest, Barry Allen can be a very grating, annoying character. And I thought it was really funny that the older Barry actually had to deal with that himself in that aspect firsthand. That was clever. I like the scenes with Barry and Iris, where Barry is actually trying to be like a human being and interact with people. That was nice. And again, uh, what's frustrating is I actually do think the core of this story is strong. I think there's a strong foundation here. I like how he screws with time by doing something very simple, like putting the tomato can in the cart. And that's actually what kickstarts this whole plot. The scenes with his mom are impactful. If they just trusted this to be a Flash movie, I think it works. Here's the problem, though, and it pains me to say this as the host of the Batman by the Numbers podcast. Once they go to Wayne Manor to get Keaton's Batman, that's when the movie kind of derails. And it's exactly what I feared this movie was going to be. It is a Twitter, Reddit, nostalgia garbage, wouldn't it be cool if this happened movie. And it devalues the entire damn thing. And I'm... One of the biggest sins a movie can commit is when it takes you out of the movie. And the idea, the idea of a movie is that you're supposed to escape and invest in a story from beginning to end. That's the idea. And I know the stuff I'm about to rant against only accounts for maybe one minute to 90 seconds of total screen time in a two hour, 20 plus movie. But I'm sorry. All the Christopher Reeve, Helen Slater, Adam West, George Reeves, George Clooney, N Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Cage. Are you kidding me? Now we're not even doing nostalgia anymore. Now we're doing alternate reality nostalgia. It's, it is this kind of crap that validates what Martin Scorsese said. It's not cinema. It is now amusement park rides. So that's it. Are there parts I enjoyed? Absolutely. There's plenty to talk about here. We're going to get to it all. But again, it is the fan service garbage that really left the sour taste in my mouth. I'm sorry. And so I actually, I want to start there with you guys and. Honestly, just to get it out of the way so we can move on. And I and I, I need to take a breath here. But look, am I overreacting with this cameo stuff? Did you guys like it, hate it? Do you think it derails the movie as much as I do? Or do you just let it roll off you? Alex, I'm going to go, like, save me. Go for it. Your cameos. Okay, so uh, number one, I'm surprised, Dan, that you don't like a movie that features four separate Batman. I mean, it has the most <laughs> Batman ever. How could you not like it? Uh, but I no, but I actually do understand. I think that the cameo stuff is is pretty bad. I I I get the idea behind it, and I think there would have been a way to execute it. Okay, but the thing that just feels the most the what I feel the most strongly about it is that it feels like they're just trying to have their version of like 
the Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield coming out of the portals in uh in No Way Home or in Endgame when all of the characters from all of the Marvel movies all come to the battlefield. But that isn't this because in those movies we had long established relationships with those characters and then we got to see those characters do things for this movie they were actually a part of those movies uh these people aren't a part of this movie at all they're just like in they're just cgi moving images <laughs> like it's i think it's honestly not even accurate to call a lot of it cameos because a cameo suggests that you talk to an actor and you say hey i would like you to be a part of my movie and they say okay i'll do i'll film a scene where i'm in your movie and then they show up and they participate artistically in the, that process just getting a computer to generate an image of Christopher Reeves silently standing in front of the screen for uh 30 seconds is not a cameo. It's just a glorified, like it's just as much of a cameo as if you put a poster with Christopher Reeves on it in a shot and zoomed in. Like it's, I think that it's really distracting. I think that uh if you want to tell a multiversal story, you have to have had some kind of idea of how to build a multiverse where we care about more things than just this one universe and if you can't do that then you can't really populate the world with uh with various universes in your storytelling so i think it's really distracting and i and i don't think that it's well executed i don't think that it's anywhere close to the worst thing about this movie uh it really is just like a a grand total of two minutes of screen time uh i think that it it might be some of the most offensive stuff because especially when you have characters or actors who have long passed away didn't get to consent to being a part of this process especially given the fact that this particular film has a lot of ethical questions around it to just kind of then get these people who have long passed away like get drafted into the controversy against their will uh is is not great but i think that it is it is really low on my list of bad things about this movie that makes it not work but it does mostly just kind of it's it's a great example of what everything that dc has done wrong over the last nine years that this movie has been in development of trying to capture what the uh, the team across the street is doing without actually putting in the work and doing it yourself and it's like they don't want to put the time in to build a world themselves but they also want to get the benefit of that and it's like either do something different or do something the way they're doing it, but you can't do this middle road of just trying to like get cheap nostalgia off of it. It's just, it's just, uh, it just doesn't work. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so, I'm glad you brought up the Spider-Man No Way Home stuff. I'm actually, I have more to say on that. I'm going to put a bookmark in that for a moment. Uh, Justin, uh, you kind of alluded to in your opening remarks, but are you on the same page with us on these cameos? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, like, you know, I, I, I know what you're saying, Alex, about maybe not being the biggest problem necessarily but i do feel like it is emblematic of the larger problems here it does feel like a shortcut it feels like an easy and quite honestly it feels very cynical to me and and disrespectful i think is exactly the right word that was i actually i don't remember the last time i physically cringed in my seat um when i saw christopher reeve show up well no not actually christopher reeve show up see whatever that was that was meant to represent and stand in for christopher reeve um and then i realized that was what we were getting and it also had like amplified from the earlier scenes like in that sort of multiverse um i don't know what to call it like like circle <laughs> i think like, they call it in the film a cryo bubble is that a chrono, okay. no so sorry chrono bubble okay 
That, yeah. It looked that, like a football stadium, but whatever. <laughs> and I'm like, and, and on the one hand, I'm like, okay, well, maybe it's an artistic choice to, like, make them look like this, to not make them look completely realistic. But then, then we'll get, like, certain little images there that are, like, actually film scenes. I'm like, no, like, make a decision here. Like, are they supposed to be real? Are they not? Like, are, are you saving money by doing this? Like, it just, ugh. And then it, that was just amplified by seeing the these horrible uh, CGI creations. I'm so I'm so done with all of that. Um, you know, in terms of the other cameos, I mean, I, I, I honestly, I just kind of shrugged at the George Clooney thing at the end. Um, I, I just, in terms of how it fits into the story, just seemed really off to me. Um, you know, yeah, it's... Uh, it, it, it's not... Uh, yeah, it's just... It's just Unfortunately, I think a reflection of what is wrong with studio filmmaking. I will yeah. say that I yeah. did, I did, I did like the George Clooney thing at the end. I think that that's separate from all of the the stuff in the in the Chrono Bowl or whatever, uh, because <laughs> that is an example of someone actually agreeing to be in a movie and then being in a movie, which is nice. And I also like what it sets up, which is the clear indication that George Clooney is going. They're making another Batman movie in this new DCU. They've <laughs> said, like, they've announced that Andy Machete is going to be directing it. Uh, it's going to be a Batman and Robin film, and now we know. That we're getting Batman and Robin 2.0, starring okay. George Clooney again. Be, I, I, like, I don't even know really if that's excited. like serious or not. Like, I don't even know where we are anymore with this stuff. Like, we can talk about that. Like, I, I don't even know anymore. I'll, here's okay. Look, I'll end the cameo stuff with this. For as irritating as it all was, I give Warner Brothers credit at least for this. They at least showed some restraint. The fact that there were no Nolan references or Easter eggs whatsoever does somewhat restore my faith in humanity. So thank you for that. I do appreciate that. Um, I, I'd be curious to know if they wanted to do it and Bale said no. Yeah. I mean, that'd be interesting. I, I think that they would have, I think they would have done it if they could have done it. I, I think that it's, Nolan, yeah, it's Nolan's a, on very bad terms with them as a studio right now. And I think that they didn't want a headline of Christopher Nolan is angry that his trilogy is like elements from his trilogy are in the Flash movie. I think that, and I don't think he would have agreed to it. They wouldn't need him to agree to it, but if he sure. didn't agree to it, he would go out in the press and complain about it. And I don't think that they needed one more controversy for this movie. So I think that's the only reason why it didn't happen. Well, listen, I can, at least I can still watch The Dark Knight in peace, and I don't have to think about <laughs> if there's, you know, a portal somewhere in the Narrows that goes to an alternate dimension or something. So, all right. Well, listen, here, here's the deal. So, again, this is, this is the Batman by the Numbers podcast. So, we're, we're going to stay on Batman. Um, because when Michael Keaton was announced he was going to be in this movie, a lot of antennas went up, and fascination for this film did grow quite a bit. Um, Michael Keaton, back as Batman. Um, as Alex knows, I'm a massive fan of Michael Keaton's Batman. I love the Bird movies. Batman Returns is my second favorite Batman movie. Keaton's Batman is very important to me, as it is to many people. And I was not opposed to bringing him back. But I said, as I said all along on multiple occasions, you know, he better not just be back for nostalgia. There better be a good reason for bringing him back into the fold. It, it, this cannot just be a wink and a nod. And the fact that Keaton agreed to do it did bring me hope. And yes, I know, he, he got a massive paycheck, I'm sure. But I do, but I do really think he cares about the character. And so I wanna, I'm gonna put a bookmark in my thoughts on the whole Keaton return experience for now. Cause Alex, I wanna throw it to you first. Cause as you famous, you are famously not a fan of Keaton's Batman. And I, I will just remind our audience that you ranked him second to last in our Batman rankings. One spot 
below George Clooney. In fact, he's your fourth-ranked Batman just in this movie alone. So, so uh, did, uh, did, did your opinion change with this movie at all? Did you like him more, less, neutral? H- how did Keaton fare for you in this movie? So, I think that Keaton is good in fits and starts in this movie. I think sometimes he's really locked in and they're giving him something to do. Like his whole scene with the spaghetti explaining the multiverse, I think great use of Keaton because he has that natural charm and that kinetic energy that brings a lot of life to what could be a horrible exposition dump, right? So I think that's a great use of him. Um, I think that his stunt double in the action scene looked like he was having a lot of fun in that kitchen as well. Um, but I think that there, for the most part though, uh, he seemed really bored. Like, he didn't want to be there. And I don't know if it was like he was trying to play kind of, you know, brooding and dark and it just kind of came across to me as bored or if he just wasn't in it as much as he needed to be. There are certain moments where he has that sort of like the, the kind of winking self-seriousness that I think Keaton's Batman is best at. Um, we're trying to ride that tonal line um, a couple of moments in some of the key action sequences but I don't think this is a particularly good use of this character and I don't think that this is a I would not say wow what an amazing you know Michael Keaton performance like for instance talk it's going to be hard not to keep talking about No Way Home just because they're similar films in certain ways and when when everyone watched No Way Home something that was just very uh, something a lot of people said was wow Andrew Garfield in No Way Home was so fantastic right like that was a that that was a a performance that in the early 2010s people were mixed on they like him as an actor is he the right fit for the role those movies were not good people felt like man he never really got his chance to really shine he goes into this movie and he really shines right And and he makes the most of those moments I don't feel like Michael Keaton gets that same play where he gets to make the most of those moments it really felt a lot just like well he's here he agreed to show up so now he's here so outside of a couple of small moments here and there i was pretty disappointed by uh what it could have been because i really thought even though i don't necessarily love this iteration of the character that i would like him better as an older more grizzled batman because i really like the performer that michael keaton has aged into and i like the roles that he has taken on in this age in this stage of his career so i was optimistic that i would be more like locked into this batman but i just felt like he was kind of bored a lot of the time yeah just for the record i, I like the first andrew garfield spider movie uh all right justin I-, I don't i do not know your history with uh your thoughts on keaton's Batman, but uh go for it what were your thoughts on keaton's return here in the flash you know, I probably was a bigger fan, I think, than Alex overall. Um, I, cer- I certainly felt like he was having more fun. As much as it pains me to say this, my one of my favorite actors is in this movie and looks like he could not wait to get off set fast enough, and that's Michael Shannon. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Um, but <laughs> so I guess, you know, relative to that, Michael Keaton looks positively enthused the whole time. I don't know. I, I felt like he was, it did feel to me like he was kind of underplaying things. I like that this is a version of Batman where it's been a while since he's kind of been in action. Like he's kind of felt like he's missing a purpose. I thought that was really interesting. Kind of a new take on that character. Um, and I don't know. They're just like little, like little moments that really work for me. The moment when he says this will hurt before he, you know, before we get a very fan servicey, um, action sequence, admittedly. I just, I like that of like, oh, does he mean the guys he's about to beat up or is it more likely he's talking about himself because it's been so long? And I feel like he really, that, that, the sort of double meaning of that, I think really comes through in that line delivery. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I, 
my history with him, you know, I'll be honest, I didn't necessarily grow up with him. Like, it, it took me a while to even see the original Batman. Uh, my Batman growing up was always Kevin Conroy. That was that was just who I thought of. And I think when I finally did see Batman 89, my first one was, well, doesn't really feel like Batman to me. But I still kind of like what he's doing anyway. Like, it's almost like, it was almost like a moot point to me of like, well, it's not how I picture Bruce Wayne necessarily, but I still kind of like the way that he's playing this. Like, it's, it's still interesting to me. I don't necessarily need every superhero to, you know, every superhero movie performance to match my idea of that character that I might have grown up with or that I remember from the comic. So I guess I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like I'm in a weird place there because I don't necessarily see that take on the, on Keaton necessarily when it comes to Batman. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. I I I liked seeing him here. I don't know how essential it was. Does it feel still very cynical to me? Yes. But uh, you know, I got to say he brought some light uh, <laughs> in a movie that sorely needed it for me. <laughs> so I'm. I'm right in the middle. Like, I'm not as positive as Justin is on his return here. I'm not as negative as Alex, though. I for, Okay, so for me, Keaton was clearly the album of the film that I was most excited and nervous about. Um, and at the end of the day, the whole Keaton return experience here was fine. Um, they didn't disgrace or embarrass themselves, but it also wasn't anything special. I, I, think, I, I think the scenes of Bruce Wayne are far better than any of the Batman scenes. Um, I think I, what they ultimately do is what I feared they were going to do. They, they ripped away all the complexity from this character, and he just gave a lot of generic, like, whatever speeches. I, he hung up the cape, he's been alone, he gets his mojo back, he mentors Barry a bit, and, like, that's it. Let's call it a day. Great. I mean, don't get me wrong, and I do agree with Alex, too. Like, Keaton, like, on the spaghetti scene is very good. Um, and I do think, I do think, though, that Keaton is giving a very genuine effort here. I do think his heart is in it. It's not his fault. Um, and like I said, there were definitely some nice moments. You know, the spaghetti scene, like I said, is one of them. Um, I have to admit, too, like, what ultimately happens to him as this isolated old man, kind of almost Howard Hughes-esque, like, it's probably what would happen to the Bruce Wayne we saw in Batman 89 and Batman Returns. So, like, I'm going to give the film some credit there. It kind of tracks. But, like, that's also that's also part of the problem. Ideally, I would have liked to have spent more time with this character. Um, where, like, where are those lonely, brooding moments that Keaton made so epic? Like, the film does not have time to explore those. They're totally breezed over. His character arc is so rushed because they have to get to all the crazy multiverse Zod stuff. So at the end of the day, his return as this iconic character just doesn't have the impact. Him returning should be this epic deal. But it's just kind of a whimper. And the film, and here's the, this is what really makes me angry. The film thinks it can hook us in just by showing us the Batmobile and having him say, I'm Batman. And honestly, that only got moderate cheers for my opening crowd night. It's not earned. It's rushed and shoehorned into the story. Even, even when they do the classic Danny Alfman theme, like the theme song gets shortchanged, like, what the hell? Like, it's sort of muted. Like, it's kind of there. Uh, maybe there was something wrong with my sound system in my theater. I don't know. It just, it felt off. Like, and Alex has already talked about this a lot, but it pains me to say this as a DC fan, but I've got to be honest. Like, Spider-Man No Way Home does this concept so much better. 
When Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield come back, it is meaningful. It feels earned. Those characters are integral to the story. That's why there's an impact. So, was it nice to see Keaton back? Yeah, but it's what I've been saying from the very beginning. If you're going to bring this character back, you can't shortchange him, and that's exactly what happened. Um, but, you know, I appreciate the effort. It's fine. Hey everyone, I'm Marshall and she's Courtney and we're your hosts of Blurred Watchers Podcast here on the Pop Break. Come hang out with us as we discuss, cross-examine, theorize, summarize, and review our favorite offerings. And tangents, there will be tangents, whether it be live, streaming, or anything in between. If we watch it and think it's cool, we invite you to come hang with us as we all talk about it. Our episodes post every third Monday on the Pop Break Podcast feed. See you there. Bye. Hey, it's Bill Bodkin, editor-in-chief of thepopbreak.com. Join myself, Amanda Rivas, Al Manorino, and a cavalcade of awesome guests on the Socially Distanced Podcast, the flagship podcast of thepopbreak.com. And it's Amanda Rivas. If you're a pop culture-obsessed nerd like we are, then you need to make Socially Distanced an integral part of your life. We talk all the things, Marvel, Star Wars, you know, everything on Disney Plus pretty much, as well as the hottest trending shows and news in the world of pop culture. This is definitely Al Manorino and not Bill Bodkin. So listen to the Socially Distanced podcast every Friday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so we can eventually get Disney Plus to give us advertising money. Please, we could use the money. I, I have children. Are you a diehard Marvel zombie who compulsively rewatches every movie and TV show you can get your hands on from the House of Ideas? Or are you a new or lapsed Marvel fan looking for an excuse to finally catch up on what your buddies have been going on and on and on about for as long as you've known them? Then folks, do we have the show for you? Head over to the Pop Break Today podcast feed on all your favorite platforms to check out myself, Bill Bodkin, and my co-host, Marcus on Bill versus the MCU, where we review every single installment of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Along with a journey around the Marvel multiverses, where we check in on MCU adjacent content like Netflix's The Defender Saga, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Fox's X-Men franchise, and so much more. New episodes premiere the second Tuesday of every month on thepopbreak.com and the Pop Break Today podcast feed. Speaking of characters uh, who get shortchanged, um, let's talk about the Superman elements to this movie. Uh, we'll, we'll get to Flash eventually in the Flash movie. Don't worry. Um, but all right, I want to I, I want to talk about Supergirl for a little bit. I, I don't think any of us mentioned Supergirl in our opening remarks. Um, Justin, I'm going to throw this to you first. Supergirl, could this movie have benefited from more screen time with Supergirl? Did you like her in the film? Did we get enough? Not enough? Go for it. I think I would have appreciated a little more. Um, I was generally a fan of Sasha Kali's performance. Uh, I thought, you know, just the sort of immense guilt that she has just really came through in that, that whole scene where she's, you know, going beast mode on, uh, on Zod. I'm like, you know, the, the action looks incredibly clunky. It's not, like, very satisfying that way. But I really just liked, I really, like, bought uh, that level of rage, and specifically the rage, I think, at herself. Um, I think there's a lot of things that kind of come through in the performance.
you know, I feel like it maybe suffers a lot of the other characters. I think the film is trying to do a lot of things and not necessarily doing it especially well. Um, you know, it is interesting to me that you kind of have this, you know, these deaths that need to happen with Batman on the one hand and Supergirl on the other hand, that you're basically bringing this sort of future and, you know, this this representative of the past with this potential, you know, of the future, um, you know, kind of star and that, you know, they both have to die. Um, you know, I, I thought that was an interesting element. It's sort of brought up in that spaghetti scene that we mentioned before, this idea that when you're changing time, you're altering not only the past, but the future, you're altering everything on there, you know, on the <laughs> spaghetti strand. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I, I feel like I could have used more from her, but at the same time, um, you know, I think that maybe speaks more to how I was enjoying Kaye as a performer as opposed to how she fits, it, how that character fits into the actual story. Yeah, I, so yeah. I, I'm right there on the same page. Um, like, when we talk about big-budget superhero movies that don't work, we often talk about how the movies are overstuffed with characters, which inevitably means characters are going to get shortchanged, and that's what happens here. And yeah, I agree with you. Like, I give Sasha Kai a lot of credit. She does a lot with a little. I really like Supergirl in this movie. She was a hard-edged character. She emulates, you know, the distrust for humanity and the guilt over not protecting her cousin really well with very little dialogue. I mean, always the good sign, always the sign of a good actor. I love the shouting match that she has with Zod. You know, it was nice. Somebody showed energy in that scene. I, I'll get to Zod, <laughs> I'll get to Zod in a bit. Um, I could absolutely see an entire movie built around this character just in the short time we saw. Um, we don't get to see much here, but I, I do want to be fair, though, in this regard. I mean, look, you know, Supergirl is maybe like the fourth lead of this movie, right? So, you know, she she is a supporting player. You know, could we have gotten more? Sure. But I think she was placed fairly well in the film, actually, you know, a little bit better than Keaton's Batman, to be honest. So I ultimately like I do see her as one of the bright spots of the film. Um, Alex, would you agree with that? Supergirl, one of the bright spots here? Yeah, I think that Sasha's performance is is great. Um, I think that the the script doesn't give her a lot to work with. I don't think the film gives her a lot of room to breathe. They kind of want her to have uh, like a syncopated version of the Clark arc in Man of Steel and just and Batman versus Superman all at once, but without the benefit of the Kents. And like they want to play that as like, oh, isn't that interesting? But there's just no time for any of it. So it's just so many ideas jammed into what is essentially two and a half scenes before you get into the big climax so i think ultimately it's a good idea that they just don't have enough room to execute on uh but that's not sasha's fault i think sasha is giving a really good performance i kind of feel like people who want to like this movie uh or at least want to find things to like about this movie are maybe overstating how good she is in the role just because it is kind of like a you know an oasis in the middle of a desert um <laughs> but i don't i don't know if i would say, like I, I, for instance if she comes back for the supergirl movie that they're they have in development i think that would be good i think she could do that especially based off of what i've heard of that source material which is a little bit more of a hard-bitten supergirl but if she doesn't come back i'm not going to feel like a crime against cinema was committed like i think I, I would be interested to see another person's take on the role as well um but i definitely i don't have anything negative to say about her i just don't think that she gets a lot of room to cook yeah so all right i want to i want to stay on the superman mythology here so i just did the anniversary brothers podcast on man on man of steel and i said that michael shannon is odd is my favorite performance in that film um i Aww. think he's i think he's one hell of a I'm so villain. sorry that 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 that's true and then you had to see this movie <laughs> well so again like 
In this movie, though, Michael Shannon's performance, this is like someone drove up to his house, you know, like, grabbed him, threw a bag over his head, threw him in the car, drove him to the set, glued a beard on him, and pushed him in front of the cameras, and they just said, go. Like, I, I don't know what the hell happened here. Um, it's because he was such a good villain in Man of Steel. And he's just a nothing character here. And I think here's, here's how, here's how this is it. It's like, I said this on the Anniversary Brothers podcast. I think that there's a lot of bad dialogue in Man of Steel, but Shannon does such a good job of committing and selling it. Like, I said this, but it, I will find him. Like, you know, that could be a real stinker, but he's so committed to it. And he just has so much energy in that, that it's like you let it slide. I, there is no energy in here. Like, I mean, he's like, it looks like he's just reading off the page when he's talking about the codex again. And just, uh, I mean, wow, this was just a miss. I really don't have anything else to say here. I know you both have already alluded to this already. Um, but I mean, Alex, I mean, sounds like you definitely agree here. Like what happened to Zod in this film? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Michael Shadden gives a more convincing, uh, uh, performance as Zod's corpse in Batman versus Superman. Oh, uh, I think that this is just terrible. I think he clearly doesn't want to be there. Um, and I don't blame him. Like, it's hard to get excited to just literally redo, not just redo, you know, the, the same performance again, but have to replay scenes that you did 10 years ago in this other movie that's not about you at all. It's very, the construction of this movie is so odd because ultimately Zod, they want to present as this, this, uh, menacing, uh, antagonist, but also the movie doesn't care about him at all. He's just kind of a force of nature that has to be in place so that way Barry and Barry can realize that they can't overcome fate. But that does, that makes him an incredibly boring character. And I think maybe if Man of Steel had lived larger in our minds in the last 10 years, maybe there would be more uh, emotional connection to the Zod character. Uh, and then maybe you could kind of get carried through those scenes. But certainly Michael Shannon doesn't feel like he doesn't seem like he feels that way. And I don't think I felt that way in the theater at all either. And I'm a huge, fan of michael shannon as a performer and dan like you i will actually defend man of seal i think that certainly it's not a flawless film but i tend to like it more than many of its detractors and uh and part of that is that committed performance that michael shannon does nobody screams into uh, <laughs> into people's face the way michael shannon does in that movie um but uh there's no screaming here there's just a quiet kind of uh annoyance that they have to show up on set at all well, actually, before I throw it to Justin, just one one thing I actually will disagree with you on, though, is I see, I think that because Man of Steel just really didn't connect with a lot of people, um, like, for me, it did. And that's why I'm so upset about his, about Michael Shannon's use here. Um, but I actually think if Man of Steel was this big hit and people really did connect to it, I think there would actually be more disappointment and frustration over his performance here, because it really would be just a waste of this character. It is a waste of this character. Um, but sure. I think because Man of Steel just didn't have that connection or super big box office that it was intended to be, like, I think people just kind of look at, I, that's why I just don't even think he's really being talked about at all, really, in either way in this movie. But it's just, yeah, it's a miss. Uh, Justin, I know you've already alluded to this, but you, you agree. I, Zod, what happened? Yeah, what happened? Um, you know, I think it's, it's things that both of you gentlemen have been saying. Um, you know, it's that there's not much chance for him to actually influence anything in here. 
And on the one hand, I'm like, you know, just having an antagonist to have an antagonist, you would think that would, like, maybe put more emphasis on the characters and, like, their kind of individual struggles. And to me, that doesn't even come across because we spend so much time with them to accomplish nothing, essentially. Um, mm. You know, and, you know, I said before, like, Shannon's, like, one of my favorite. He might be my favorite working actor. I don't know. He's, he's certainly in the conversation. Um, I'm actually in a few few months i'll be discussing uh one of my favorite michael shannon movies take shelter and i'm looking forward to that redeeming whatever i just saw uh today um <laughs> because i at least have seen that film before and know how amazing it is um you know i i i i haven't like read any in-depth stories necessarily but i've seen that there's been some chatter about like he's been fairly candid i think about how he did not really care so much about this film and you know you know i, I think when you were talking dan before about you know what might have transpired to get him on set i wonder if they also like they did all that and then at the very end just like gave him a big bag of money and he's like well i'm already sure here. that's part of it you know, so well and also i think like to do to give him a little bit of credit uh and his integrity you know i i think that it's clear that this man was on set with maybe one other actor throughout all of his scenes. I think he done, I think he probably was on set with Sasha, uh, during their scenes together and otherwise was alone on a green screen. Um, and also those scenes were definitely on a green screen as well. So like he's not, he has nothing to work with or with or against at all, you know? Uh, and I, given where we are in the movie, I would not be surprised if a lot of his stuff was reshot multiple times given how many reshoots were involved in this film and how many times they changed things around the third act uh and and in that nature and i wouldn't be surprised if he gave a good performance once and then they asked him to come back a year later and do it again with some tweaks and he was like you know what screw you guys i don't care about this like this is you you, you're making me show up for like to be the villain of your movie but you're not giving me a character to play at all you're not giving me an arc you're not giving me anything i'm in like three scenes i already shot once i'm not gonna give the effort to do it again like it really does kind of feel like someone who is doing a run-through of a performance less so than actually like the you know uh debut time for the performance um and i i wouldn't be surprised if the production stuff has a lot to do with that yeah i think you bring up a good point too like it's look as good of an actor as he is um he was probably in an unwinnable situation here um but yeah definitely we all agree michael shane great actor this is just an anomaly all right can I say that my favorite um, part of Michael Shannon being in the DCEU overall <laughs> is when ahead of Batman versus Superman, he gave a bunch of interviews saying that his Zod character was going to be coming back with flippers on his hands, and it really, and it caused a bunch of like nerd news sites to go crazy speculating why he might be in it with flippers, and like that doesn't happen in the movie. He just said it to fuck with people, um, and that was my favorite moment of of Michael Shannon playing uh, General oh, well, Zod listen, over ten years of cinema. <laughs> that happened in this movie i mean would have been more interesting um okay uh let's actually all right we're, we're gonna talk about the flash now here here's the irony so everyone kept making the same jokes uh hey so are you gonna see that new batman movie this summer i hear the flash is in it um and yeah this movie was marketed heavily with the batman cloud over it the batwing basically takes up 90 percent of the poster um you know <laughs> the home run part of the trailers were you know the i'm batman and the let's get nuts I mean, now look, I'm, I'm sure the Ezra Miller stuff was a factor in how this was all marketed, but, but I gotta say, 
for a Flash movie that wasn't supposed to be a Flash movie, this is actually where I'm going to get into some of the positives now. I, I, For me, I think the Flash was by far the best part of this film for me. The dual role factor in particular actually really worked for me. Justin, actually, I want to throw it to you first here because you kind of alluded to that, you know, the plot threads here were a little thin, but, I mean, how would overall you would say the Flash himself was in this in his own movie? Uh, I guess, are you talking more about the character or character? the Character, yeah, the character in his arc, you know, wherever you want to, whatever you want, whatever direction you want to go. Yeah, I, you know, I would say maybe it's something conceptually that's interesting to me, and I feel like the way it actually plays out to me was a bit disappointing. Um, I'm not as big a fan of Ezra Miller in this film, and I say that as someone who has, like, generally enjoyed their work uh, for the most outside superhero movies uh so it's it's almost like i i found this for certain movies recently where it's like it's almost like everything's just like a little too much or it's like not enough um like i I felt like some of the dramatic moments just really didn't land the way they needed to um the younger version of barry is to me is like that's where you needed someone to rein him in I, I'm assuming that Laugh was deliberately to evoke Polly Shore, and I don't know why. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's, and it's, honestly, it's like on the level of the goats from Love and Thunder, Thor Love and Thunder for me, just in terms of every time I heard, I'm like, oh, why am I here? It's not that um, bad, but... It's, oh, it's, it was, <laughs> like, ear-gratingly painful to me. Um, yeah, it's it's you know, and it, and it's weird because I I feel like I've seen like I've seen them do some pretty impressive stuff before. I mean, I think of like you know even um even something like even a movie like Trainwreck. Like, there's so many there's so many great scenes with that with him and that, and it's just like I'm watching this and it's like I can't believe this is the same person. Like, it's just it's just it's it's almost like trying to get you to uh, like it's like we want to understand this person is awkward and then we want to beat it into your head about 10 more times that's what it feels to me that's like the level of his performance and i would have liked to have seen muschetti or really anyone else just like tell him to rein it in a little bit more um and it's a shame because i feel like some like i mentioned some of those dramatic moments to me didn't really land as well i think it helps that my favorite scene i think with him is that last scene with his mother but i think it helps that he is opposite maribel verdu who i think is giving him a lot more to work with and honestly is maybe one of the other highlights for me in this film even though it's you know she has pretty pretty you know relatively short screen time um yeah i don't know i i i wish i could be with you on 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 miller's performance here but that's like he you know they they are playing the central character and that to me was a, that was one of the things that really lost me. I have to I have to admit, and why they it was are hard. playing two of the central characters in this movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> I guess te- well, yeah, and, and a third at the end, which I don't know. That was just more of that you know CGI nonsense. All right, Alex, how did the Flash fare in his own movie? So I am similar to Justin in that I I think even more so than Justin was a really big fan of Ezra Miller when they first came out on the scene. I loved We Need to Talk About Kevin. That was my favorite films of 2011. Uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower is a really special movie to me um, at that time in my life. I really, really loved it. Uh, and I thought that 
they gave a really really good performance and you know shortly thereafter is when they get got cast as the flash um in the sort of you know batman versus superman um expanding roster of heroes uh and I was excited. I was like, cool. This is like a very interesting, exciting young film, uh, like film presence. Uh, they, they were openly queer, which I thought was really cool to have as a lead superhero in the world. Um, and they just were a very exciting young talent, just in the same way that when Tom Holland got cast as Spider-Man, it's like, wow, that's great. He's, Tom Holland is a really good actor who is also young and at the start of his career and he's going to get to do these movies and it's going to be great for him. I thought that Ezra Miller could be the same. Uh, and then, you know, <laughs> Ezra just his, the, their entire career then just became flash appearances and then, uh, crimes of Grindelwald's fantastic beasts nonsense, uh, which is, uh, which was a bummer. Uh, and I was always like, well, what's going on with them? Like, why aren't they do, I know that those movies take a lot of time, uh, but why aren't we getting anything else? And then you find out what was going on with them and you see, oh, well, that's, I get it. And I don't want to say that we should just, we should like psychoanalyze somebody and, and read too much into the off screen stuff in terms of the on screen stuff. But for me, their performance in this movie felt very incoherent a lot of the times. I felt like the choice to portray Barry Allen in the opening scenes and in the closing scenes is this incredibly anxious, nervy, socially disconnected person uh, didn't line up with how Barry Allen appeared through the entire middle part of the movie at all when uh, Barry is interacting with the younger version of himself and, and all of the other characters. Like, all of a sudden, all of that eccentricity, all of that sort of genuinely like abrasive quality is just completely gone from him and i don't know why uh i don't know if we can say that that's Ezra's fault or if that's the creative team's fault but it definitely took me out of the movie i also found uh barry allen as the flash to be extremely annoying for a lot of the movie uh which stinks because i love barry allen's flash like grant gustin uh who plays barry allen on the tv show i'm a huge fan of his performance i don't think that like Barry Allen needs to be Grant Gustin. Uh, but I think that that character has a lot of strengths and I don't think that those strengths were really well captured on screen at all. I, so I talked a lot about my opening already. I, I, I do like Miller's performance quite a bit and I think it's the strongest element to the film, but I, I just think with Barry Allen, I, Barry Allen went from this comic relief character in both justice league versions. Uh, so I think actually having quite a bit of depth here. And like I said, I, I really do believe, and I think this is why I'm so frustrated, that the concept and core of this movie is strong. You know, I, you know, when we're talking about Barry Allen, I think the movie, it asks a big question. You know, if you could go back in time and change the fate of someone you care about, you'd probably do it. And I was invested in Barry's arc, in him ultimately learning this very sad and poignant lesson that you can't change the past, even if you can change the past, you still can't really change the past. I also think that the true villain of the piece, which ultimately becomes the other Barry, which was a compelling turn. And, you know, as the, he was this wide-eyed, optimistic, fun-loving kid who becomes this warped villain going around in time loops trying to solve an unsolvable equation. And again, I hate to harp on this, but but if they got rid of the cameo crap, I think there's a really powerful villain that could have that they could have played up more. And I think the potential for a gripping climax is there. I I love the idea that the true ending isn't really about the Zod stuff. I mean, I know we kind of talked about, like, oh, it seems like kind of like a waste of time, and that's like a fair criticism. I totally get that. But I do love the idea that the true ending isn't really that. It's it's actually top stopping this time demon. Um, but like I said, with Barry's story, 
you know, it's completely pushed aside, you know, at the end in favor of giving Kevin Smith fans a good chuckle. Like, it's a shame, because I really do think that there are pieces here for a great Flash movie. Um, but in typical DC fashion, and what ultimately set this DC universe off on a bad foot after Man of Steel, is Warner Brothers' desire to rush a shared universe. And in doing that, all these movies suffered. And The Flash is the latest example of that. And I think that's why, and that's why it should be the last of this DCEU. Um, I know we have some other movies coming up, but I'm sure, listen, I I'm sure there are people listening who still want Henry Cavill back and Gal Gadot and Jason Momoa and yada, yada, yada. And, but please, and again, this is coming from someone who's been a Snyderverse fan. And I like all those actors in the roles. I really do. But we need a clean start. And judging by the early box office projections of this movie, by the way, the audience has spoken. And honestly, that's it for me. Like, that I wanted to just kind of lead into my th final thoughts on this is... Uh, what I, I think what James Gunn should do, and after Guardians of the Galaxy 3, I trust him, is to do, like, a clean sweep. And I know Alex was maybe joking, maybe not. Like, I don't even know anymore. Like, is George Clooney going to play this role again? I, I don't even know yes, anymore. But like, that's not I, a joke. Okay, but that's, okay, but we shouldn't do that. Like, again, <laughs> clean start, clean reboot. Everything, but, all new but actors. The world, <laughs> just the world listen. that this that this movie creates is the rebooted universe. So by the end of this film, maybe we're in the new. No, definitely, that's that's explicitly I, been stated by I, all of the creators. I hope that so. Okay. The, I, the Batman I, in this universe is George Clooney, and he is making a movie called Batman: Bold and the Brave that is going to be about him and Robin. So he is getting his second shot at Batman and Robin. Dan, I'm very sorry. Okay, I, I don't, I'm, 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 I will believe it when I see it on the George Clooney thing. It, I will say just because it, now we're, they've said that's what's happening. I, I, okay. I, I just, I can't, I'm like, I'm like, in shock. I find that hard to believe, but I do. Okay. Well, I'll say this though. In all seriousness, I, now I did see it brand about that Andy Muschietti would direct that Batman movie. So I have seen that. Um, I, you know, as far as that choice, if that is actually the case here, um, I'm okay with it. I do think, like, I do think Andy Muschietti did have some talent here. And I think he was weighed down by a lot of things that were out of his control. So I do think there could be a very good director lurking there. So I'm actually not totally opposed to that. Um, okay, look, I'll take your word. If that, if that's what they've said, that's what's happening. Like, you know, we'll see, but, um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to throw it to you, Alex. So like final thoughts and you've already alluded to this a little bit, final thoughts in this film and just also what you think they need to do going forward for this whole universe. Go for it. Well, so like just jumping on your last point about Andy yeah. Machete, uh, I think that we, I think that this movie's development has been such a catastrophe from like literally the first step nine years ago that it's not really fair to blame any one particular uh, creative force behind the scenes with like all of the problems it truly is who knows what choices he even got to make and didn't get to make i think he made one very good it movie and one very bad it movie and now this is another big budget film that is bad so i think that he has some strikes against him but i don't necessarily want to blame him for what went wrong here uh my final thoughts on this is just i love the character of barry allen in the comic books in the cartoons in the flash show i watched all nine seasons of that damn show um and it really killed me towards the end because it really goes off the rails in a way that just is like very upsetting uh but there's a core to that show that is so special to me and that it made me really invest and care about this character and i don't think that anything that happens on screen in this film is representative of that 
and that's a bummer and that goes down to the performance that goes down to the the story that we end up with like you said dan it gets so overcrowded with all of these other people who aren't the flash um and that's a bummer because his character deserves to live on its own merits uh and it doesn't get to do that and i think that's one of the bigger takeaways uh i think a lot of things about this movie make sense on paper and are poorly executed. I think the conflict between Barry and Barry in the middle of the movie, it's building to this like emotional climax where Barry finally kind of confronts the younger Barry about the fact that he does like he's upset that he has had a life without like with his mother whereas the older Barry hasn't had that. Um that scene I thought felt fell very flat. Uh, I don't think that the performers were really up to the task, unfortunately, which is a shame because I think that in the past they've shown that they had the talent to do that. And I think over and over again, you could say that about a lot of aspects of this film. So I, I think that if you just go back in time and you, like speaking of Andrew Garfield, imagine Andrew Garfield in this role. I think he would have crushed it. I think he would have elevated a lot of these scenes and made that dynamic much more compelling than we ultimately have. So I, I think this movie is not without some strengths. I think there are certain sequences that are fun. I thought that the, the action scene at the very beginning of the movie is kind of a disaster, uh, not just because it looks terrible with the rubber babies uh, floating through the air, um, but also because <laughs> because it's all about how annoyed Barry is at having to be part of the Justice League but not getting to be the star of the Justice League. And he sounds really obnoxious. And you could make a movie about that and him learning that there's a place for him in this world and that he needs to kind of let go of this aspiration of having to be the, the central hero. But also that's not really who Barry was prior to this moment. And that's not who Barry is really for the rest of the film either. That's not even his central arc. He's just whining and complaining a lot. And I just don't understand the choice there. And I think that's consistent with the problems throughout the movie. Like there's a sequence in the middle of the movie where like younger Barry is with all of his college friends and they're all kind of hanging out. It's supposed to be so fun and, and silly. And, and we're learning about all the different things in the multiverse all at the same time. And uh, and I thought it was dreadful. Like, all of those people are just really annoying. And I don't think they're supposed to be. I think they're supposed to be charming. And I think that kind of miscalculation is consistent with so much of what's what's wrong with this movie. All righty. Uh, Justin, your final thoughts on The Flash. Um, I mean, it's... You know, again, as someone who said I had low expectations going in, the fact that it didn't even meet those, I think, really speaks to my feelings on it. Um, I, you know, just to get into some of the production stuff that you, that you guys have mentioned, I know mm. that it does seem like there was a lot of reshoots. There are a lot, you know, there's anytime you have a, a, a project this massive, there's going to be a lot of, you know, a lot of a lot of cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. Um, but I will say I, I did see that Andy Muschietti has at least stood by the look of the film by saying, I believe he said something to the effect of, if it looks that way, that's because I wanted it to look that way. And I'm like, okay, so you wanted it to look like shit. <sighs> um, and well, that's, that's kind of like, you know, and I, and I think about other Muschietti films that I've seen, and I have to say, like, it is the smaller ones that I tend to really respond to. Like, there's a sequence in the very beginning of the first It movie that is honestly like one of the better just like it's even before Pennywise shows up that is just about atmosphere and using lighting to create a mood to create this this unsettling feeling where you can't quite tell what's wrong but you know that something is and man I haven't really seen that in a while from him and I'm just <laughs> like oh it's like come on give us something like that um 
And uh, yeah, and I, I also I noticed, and I I'd forgotten this, but I, I remembered like when I saw it, like oh right, I forgot about that until this moment that uh, Christina Hodson, who is the who is who is credited as the screenwriter here, although we also have a screen story by I believe uh, a couple, one other person along with like Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly, who of course have been doing pretty well recently with the Dungeons and Dragons movie, um, but it really. Like and and Hodson has been on a lot of movies that I like, like Bumblebee, for example, and Birds of Prey, a DC movie I really like. Um, so there are those, um, but it it really does it did make me aware just I think how many hands this has gone through because I can't believe that you have all these talented people and you know you could create something this frankly you know lifeless and <laughs> ineffectual. Um, so. Yeah, it's. I, I wish I could say it was a disappointment. I guess I was hoping that there was going to be something more. You know, I, I've certainly, I've been a lot more hopeful about DC films um, because there have been a, a bunch that I've really liked, and you know. But I think knowing about like Gun taking over, I'm kind of like, okay, so what is the quality of this going to be? Because now we're carving out this, you know, this greater universe. And I have to say up to this point, one of the things I've liked about DC is just that it does feel like they were committing to individual films and making that good. And sometimes, you know, that's that's fine. I don't necessarily need a connected universe. But obviously that's not the direction they're going to go in going forward. Um, but then you have stuff like this, which feels like it doesn't, it really does not accomplish what it, what it's setting out to do. And quite honestly, I'm not sure that I, I think the, the direction that it went was particularly interesting either. Um, I think there's some interesting movies you could make out of ideas in this film. I just don't think this film really develops them. Yeah, I, I would yeah. say, like, between the three of us, like, if you're ranking, like, who liked it the most, like, I'm going to say Justin probably definitely liked it the least. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably going to put me in the middle, but, like, and then Alex maybe, like, moderately ahead of me. But I just... Like, look, and again, I want to be very clear, like, it's an okay movie. Like, we're just looking at a movie, like, relative to other movies that I see, and I see a lot of movies, like, it's okay. But I'm sorry, again, I'm just, I'm not going to accept okay when we're talking about a movie with The Flash and Michael Keaton's Batman and Supergirl and getting Michael Shannon back is odd. I mean, great. It's better than Black Adam. I mean, great. I, but that doesn't, like, again, okay, that's not a huge accomplishment. So I'm sorry. I'm still going to be disappointed, but I, I will say that I want to, I want to kind of end on a positive note because even though, you know, we just, I'm very disappointed with this movie. I still am optimistic about DC going forward with James Gunn. I really am. And now I am really excited to see what that all is. I know, you know, again, like we'll talk about Aquaman two later on down the road too. And I'm just like, whatever, I'm convinced that just won't be good. I mean, I, I would love to be surprised. I would love to be surprised. Don't get me wrong, but let's just kind of get through this. And and get to the James Gunn era, and that's what I'll say. Um, all right, well that that's gonna do it for the Flash here. So um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go cleanse myself and watch uh, Asteroid City later today. But uh, let's do some plugging. Uh, Justin, what what do you have to plug? My podcast that you mentioned before, uh, Podwork Angels, The Rush Hour. We're kind of like in the home stretch, basically. Uh, we've gone through a lot of their albums. We'll be doing like a retrospective of what we've learned and giving out uh, certain awards at the very end of it. So that'll be our last episode. Um, you can also find me on cinemaverick.com. That's my website. I'm also on Letterboxd at the Cinemaverick. And, uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Alex, I know you got stuff to plug. Go for it. 
Sure. So I am the podcast director of thepodbreak.com. You can follow all the podcasts that I supervise over there by going on thepodbreak.com, clicking on the podcast tab. Uh, two podcasts that I host are Bill versus the MCU, which is on this podcast feed, the Pop Break Today podcast feed. Uh, we are, we just talked about phase five, part one. It's our first phase five episode of the MCU. Uh, very exciting. We talked about Guardians of the Galaxy three, which is a good movie, and Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which is a bad movie. Uh, and we also talked about just the broad kind of state of the MCU because it's been a rocky couple of, uh, months over there. Uh, next month, we're going to be starting our Agents of Shield coverage which uh is, i'm very excited about we have a really exciting special guest uh, planned for that um bill has watched the first episodes of that and uh i can't wait for you guys to hear what he thought about it uh to be specific the first episode the first shield episode that we're covering will cover season one episode one and then season one episode 16 through 22 which is uh, colloquially referred to as the fall of shield those are the episodes that take place after the winter soldier uh came out in the movie theaters and blew up shield uh, <laughs> while uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was airing weekly episodes on television. So uh, it was a wild thing that happened, um, and uh, we talk about it. So we really look forward to you guys seeing that. Also, the other podcast that I host is Pop on the Pop Break TV podcast feed. It's called TV Break. Uh, Bill uh, uh, Bodkin, who I also do Bill vs. CMC with, and Josh Ternacki, uh, we all uh, come around once a month to talk about all the ins and outs of the world of TV. Uh, and our most recent episode was on American Born Chinese, which is a really great little Disney Plus TV show that, Dan, I think you'd actually really enjoy if you gave it a shot. All right. Well, thank you. And uh, yeah, you can follow me at D. Cohen Writer on Twitter. That's D. Cohen Writer on Twitter. And uh, listen, I, I want to, you know, thanks everyone for listening. You know, hopefully if you were a fan of The Flash, you know, hopefully we didn't ruin your day. Um, but also, if you want to hear me talk about a good DC movie, I... Uh, I did uh, the Anniversary Brothers podcast, as I alluded to a little while ago. Uh, we are talking Man of Steel. Um, of course, check out some of our previous episodes of the Batman by the Numbers podcast if you haven't already. And like I said at the top, in particular, if you didn't hear last month's episode yet, um, it really is a great one. A lot of great effort went into it. It was a lot of fun to record. We are, of course, ranking all the Batman actors. So please, please, please check that one out. Um, and we'll be back here next month. That's going to do it for us. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye.